Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. I think I really learned what flaky means when I went camping in Zambia one time. And we were driving down this road very deep into the Zambian wilderness. There were, there were not even grass huts. or We were beyond the last village by miles. And this little one-lane road was winding down into the Zambezi River Valley. And we had sort of not planned well for the fact that it was rainy season when we were going down and the unique conditions of that particular road. That, that chemistry was not a good chemistry. You see, on the way down, it was beautiful. As the, as the journey began, it was lush and green, just what you would imagine traveling through Africa is, is like. And we saw animals on the way. But as the afternoon went on, and there was a whole group of us, three vehicles of us, the rain clouds began to build up, very much like here in Arizona during the monsoon where you have a beautiful morning, but then during the afternoons you sort of start to see the clouds in the distance and then they build up and, and then eventually in the middle of the afternoon or toward early evening it just begins to downpour and that's exactly what happened here. Well, when the rain really got heavy, we found ourselves in a ravine. Anyone who grows up or, or has lived for very long in Arizona knows a ravine is not where you want to be in the middle of a heavy downpour. So we decided the, the smartest thing to do would be to turn the vehicles around and get back up the side of the slope that we had just come out of. But it was raining heavily by this time. And what we learned later is that there was a type of stone on this road that is called schist. I have to be very careful how I pronounce that. It was called schist. Now, do you know what schist does when it gets wet? It's flaky. Very flaky. And we, we had good, heavy tires on our vehicles. It's Africa, after all. And as we started to try to come back uphill, all our wheels did was spin because... The, the rock underlying that road just would flake off, and we couldn't make any progress. Later on, I got to thinking, you know, that's, that's true not only of roads, but it's also true when you have a person who flakes. That person can look amazing in the beginning, and can bring so much hope. And then in the end, when you see that they aren't really going to fulfill the commitments that they've made to you, and they begin to flake, all of a sudden you realize you're in a situation where your wheels are just going to spin. And this is not going to end well. Now, I know all of you love the Arizona Cardinals. We've seen a little example of this during the preseason. Haven't we? Have you noticed their red zone percentage? They are awesome up and down the field between the 20s. Move the ball. Carson Palmer can hit his receivers. 
Richard Mendenhall is, is running through big holes in the line, but then they hit the last 20 yards. It was so bad in last week's game, not, let's not even talk about last night's game, that one of the news reporters, Kent Summers, says, don't even roll the whole field back into the stadium for practice. Just roll the last 20 yards in. Because what the Cardinals clearly don't understand is how to finish strong in the red zone. You see, we have to be ready for crunch time. And no matter how good we are between the 20s in our life, if we flake at crunch time, it's not going to be a good ending for us. And Paul the Apostle in the New Testament I know we're studying the Old Testament, but I want to show you something that Paul writes first because really this makes up the theme of today's message because Solomon looks so solid and so strong in the beginning of this story. You just watched the video. You heard all the amazing things that he did in his life. He built this beautiful temple so that the Israelites could worship God. And he was standing on the shoulders of his father, David. David had amassed all the things to build the temple. He gets the job done. It looks good in the beginning. He's bringing the Israelites together. He's so wise that he writes books about wisdom. The book of Proverbs, which we still have in the Bible today, was written by King Solomon, and it is filled with beautiful verses. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Maybe you've heard that proverb. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It was Solomon who wrote that. And so many other beautiful proverbs. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And gets very open and transparent for us about life under the sun apart from God. And how if you just live apart from God and just keep your focus down here. And don't do what Jesus says. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Solomon takes the other. Seek first this life down here. And Solomon says nothing will be added to you. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's all meaningless, Solomon says, if all of life is just about right here and right now. It all looks so great in the beginning. And look at what Paul the Apostle writes about himself. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul knew that it was important not only in his walk with Christ, but also in his life's purpose. The task of testifying to others that Jesus has died for our sins and that salvation has been won and given to us as a free gift. The important thing, Paul says, is... Finish the race. Complete the task. Take your pens out. Let's let's begin this message today by underlining those six words. Finish the race. Complete the task. And notice, finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. This is not just any race. And it's not just any task. 
for the Apostle Paul. This is a race and this is a task that has come directly to him and which we all have as well from the Lord Jesus Christ, our God, our King, our Savior, our Redeemer. So here's what I want you to write down. God wants me to start strong and finish strong. And as I said a moment ago, this morning, we're looking at a man named Solomon who had a great, a a super strong start. 1 Kings one thirty nine says that Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. And then then they sounded the trumpet and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon. I want you to think in your life. Do we realize that most of us are building on the shoulders of other people who've come before us? That in fact that we've been given a legacy? For some of us, that legacy might be rather short. Maybe maybe it's just a friend who invited you to come to Crosswalk Church. And, and you're here going, you know what, I... My legacy isn't large. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. Like for me, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. And and therefore, not a lot has been given me in terms of faith. But for many of us in this room, there's a long list of people that you'd have to look back and go, I stand on their shoulders and they have given a legacy to me that is unbelievable. Take just a moment, if you would. And think of someone in your life that shared Jesus Christ with you, made sure that you knew he was the way to heaven, that he is the forgiveness of your sins. I'll bet most of us can think of way more than one person. And if we're thinking of one person, they were probably a very important person in our life. That's the legacy we've been given. And Solomon was given a similar legacy. He was standing on the shoulders of his father, David, a man after God's own heart. And even though Solomon had been born out of one of David's sins, his relationship with Bathsheba, David, because he was sent the prophet Nathan from God, had repented of that sin, turned his life back around again, as all of us have to do as believers, because we are going to fall. But David turned it around. He repented. He made that U-turn that's so important for all of us to make in our lives. And Solomon grew up in the palace. It wasn't just a legacy of faith. Unlike his father, David, who grew up as a shepherd, Solomon grew up in the halls of the palace and was given the best education and, and, and the best things in life that money could buy because his dad had been a very successful king. In Israel, and God had blessed his reign. So Solomon had this huge legacy to the point where, when he is selected to be king in this verse that I just read, look, they sound the trumpet. It's a huge celebration. The high priest comes and anoints him and says, You're God's chosen one to be the next king. That's part of his legacy that he can walk into this and go, This isn't me. I didn't self-select for this role as king. Part of my legacy is God himself, through his church, in this case, through the, the high priest, has anointed me 
and put his spirit on me so that I can be king. Imagine the comfort that thought alone of Solomon's legacy gave him that God has put me here for just this time. And God blesses his rule. As we go on from 1 Kings chapter 1 to 1 Kings chapter 2, it says, So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his rule was firmly established. And one of the things that I think really firmly established Solomon's rule, and and that was such a huge part of the legacy that Solomon received, was to understand that everything that we have is given to us. Do you find that sometimes hard to really get a hold of? I think most of us do, and the reason is that we live in a you got to earn it economy. If you want something, you better work hard for it. And we, we, we tend to look to ourselves for the things in life that we want. And then secondarily, we look to the people around us for the things in life that we want. But Solomon, Solomon had learned something really valuable from his father, David. Way before you look to yourself for blessings, way before you look to the people, even the ones who love you the most for things, for good things, for blessings, Solomon had learned the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Look to God. Ask him for the things that you want. In the book of James, Jesus' brother writes, do you know why you quarrel so much? And you're always angry with one another. You can check this out. It's right at the beginning of James chapter 4. It's a great passage. You're constantly arguing and quarreling. And why? Because you're not getting what you want. And then James goes on and he says something really important. And every one of us needs to hear this. You want to know why you're not getting the things that you want? You're not asking the right person. And and in effect, James is saying to us, why are you asking your spouse for things that you really should be asking God for? Why are you asking your business partner for things that you should really be asking God for? Why are you asking your children for things that you should be asking God for? And do you find that you're constantly dissatisfied with all these people and quarreling and angry with them? Well, think twice before you go to them first. Instead of going to God first and saying, God, give me what I need. You're depending on people and on yourself for things that God gives you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Solomon got this. It was delivered to him in his legacy. Look look how thoroughly he got it. Because in Psalm 127, which clearly is a psalm that Solomon wrote, a song of ascents. This was a song that was sung as the Israelites came up to Jerusalem. That's why it's called a song of ascents. It was written by Solomon. And he says this, unless the Lord builds the house. We underline those words. Unless the Lord builds the house. The builders labor in vain. And once it's built, Solomon says, once it's up there, unless the Lord watches over the city, unless the Lord protects what's been built, the guards stand watch in vain. You see, Solomon so beautifully at this point in his life knows exactly where to look for the things that he desires and needs. 
And here's what I want you to write down. Solomon began on a firm foundation, and this was a foundation that was a legacy to him. And I think in our culture, we get this idea of a legacy. In fact, if you've been watching the news this week, you saw a video of a young man from Georgia Tech. It, it kind of went viral this week. And it's hilarious, for one thing, but in this video, he talks about the legacy of being a graduate of Georgia Tech University. Now, I enjoyed this video so much, I thought, let's just take a moment and see the importance of building on a legacy like Solomon built on his legacy from his father, David. So let's roll that video. Georgia Tech, because we want to do the impossible. And this school is equipped with the resources and faculty to help us do just that. And so, in the words of Sir Isaac Newton, if I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. Georgia Tech is proud of its many traditions, but the one I find most exciting is our tradition of excellence. Our mission as students is not to follow in the footsteps of the astronauts, Nobel Prize laureates, and president who graduated before us, but to exceed their footsteps, crush the shoulders of the giants upon whom we stand. We here are all such innovative people. So I am telling you, if you want to change the world, you're at Georgia Tech. You can do that. If you want to build the Iron Man suit, you're at Georgia Tech. No, I feel like I should be up there saying, if you want to change the world, you're a Christ follower. You can do that. Right? Because we stand on the shoulders of giants and we have received such a legacy, all of us. If you're sitting in this church today for the very first time, we have a legacy of faith in Jesus Christ that we want to share with you. And this is, as he said, a tradition of excellence that we want to pass on from one generation to the other so that people can finish strong. Love that video. We see the evidence of Solomon's firm foundation as we read on in this story. You go on to 1 Kings chapter 3. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. But then look at this humility. This is part of this legacy of, I, I don't know, Lord. You chose me, really? I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart. How wise is that? I mean, he's asking for wisdom. One of the most famous parts of the Bible is that Solomon, remember, who does he go to? He doesn't go to himself and say, maybe if I study hard. He goes to the source and says, God, you have all wisdom. Would you give it to me as a gift? Give me a discerning heart to govern this people, to discern between what is right and wrong. He has wisdom before he asks for wisdom. 
So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. Of course he was pleased. Lord, give me the tools that I need to to carry out this responsibility that you've given. You've given me a great purpose in life. I need you to walk with me in this purpose and help me and strengthen me and give me the wisdom. And you know, don't you, the difference between wisdom or discernment, as he calls it here, and knowledge. You do know the difference between that, don't you? There's a wide difference. The Bible actually says that Solomon had a lot of, of knowledge. It tells us that he knew about biology and plants and history, just huge breadth of knowledge. But what the Bible tells us is far more important than knowledge is wisdom. And what wisdom is, is knowing how to take the knowledge that you've been given and apply it to your life. And that's what Solomon is looking for. I want to have a lot of information, but then, Lord, help me understand how to take this knowledge that you're going to give me and use it to rule wisely and apply it to the people that you're putting under my rule. And God is very pleased that Solomon has asked for this. Notice, too, that Solomon asks for the ability to distinguish between right and wrong. Now, how important is that? We think sometimes in our day... That the culture is very confused about what is right and what is wrong. And and we look around us and all over the place we see traditional values sort of disintegrating and, and disappearing. And some of those traditional values might have needed to disappear a long time ago. But some of them are biblical values. And whether they're traditional or not really doesn't make any difference. What we need to ask ourselves are, what are God's values in the Bible? What does he hold dear? What is right to him and what is wrong to him? And we need to learn those and in wisdom, apply right and wrong to our own lives and help others around us do that. And that's what Solomon is asking for here. And Solomon not only builds on this legacy, this firm foundation that he's been given from God, even outwardly, he does some amazing things. You saw in the video that he built a beautiful temple. And it wasn't huge in size, as the video tells us, but it was amazing. And a place where, more importantly, the Israelites could come And they could worship their God and celebrate the festivals. And so Solomon is just, he is really beginning strong. And it's a little deceptive. Because what I'm about to tell you, if I I had a box here and a box up here, and, and in this box over here my left hand I, I i wrote the word here and in this box up here i wrote the word there you following with me and then i draw an arrow from here to there do you know what that's the definition of that's the definition of leadership and as solomon begins his reign he is leading the israelites in a very outward sense upward And the reason I say it's deceptive is because 
There are wonderful outward things going on in the kingdom. The kingdom is in peace. Solomon's name literally means the peaceful one. And he's building the temple and doing all these amazing construction projects. The legacy of David was that he was a man of war. The legacy of Solomon is that he is the builder king. He beautifies the whole kingdom and consolidates it. He leads the people from here to there on the outward. On the outward. But as we're about to see in just a moment... Solomon's heart begins to slip away from God. And this is something that you have to watch out for and that I have to watch out for because it's very easy to stay focused on this leadership from here to there on the outward. While meanwhile, in our inner life, our spiritual life, we begin the slow drift away from God and we're leading from here to there. But now the box is lower. And we don't see it in the beginning. Because we're focused on this box, the outward box, from here to there, and not this one. So here's what I want you to to write down. Solomon continued to build on that foundation. It's looking good in the beginning. But then I want you to notice something. Go back to the verse, verse 9. And I want you to notice something that it took a friend to point out to me. So give your servant, I'm I'm, I'm in this verse right above Solomon continued to build on that foundation. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. What's interesting about that passage is the why. Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people. You notice what Solomon doesn't ask for? Remember several weeks ago where we said, especially to the guys, become a shepherd before you become a king because when you're a shepherd, there's no crowds. There's no one to pat you on the back and say, good play. And, And you have to start with private victories. And you have to learn how to govern yourself as a shepherd. And when you learn how to govern yourself first then you're better equipped to govern others. And that's what David had learned from his experience as a shepherd. Here's Solomon. He's seen his father, but he he doesn't realize that maybe what he should have first asked God for is give your servant the discernment to govern himself. And what we start to see is that because Solomon is Excellent at governing others. He's amazing. He is leading people from here to there. But when it comes to himself, he begins to flake. And he stops making progress. And in fact, he begins to slip backwards. God gave, take a look at the passage at the, at the bottom. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight. I already told you, he wrote these books, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Read them. Song of Solomon, a beautiful poem about romantic love. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. He was wiser than anyone else. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. 
That might have been the beginning of Solomon's downfall right there. His fame began to spread to all the other nations. Do you know how tough it is sometimes to deal with visible success? When everybody is looking at, look at the there that Solomon has led us to, because it's very visible. They can see it. He's led us from here to there. He's amazing. He's wise. Solomon has the queen of Sheba coming to visit him and patting him on the back and saying, you're a rock star of wisdom, Solomon. But what people can't see is what's going on underneath that as Solomon is slipping from here to there. Turn your notes over. And one of the first cracks that develops is we see that Solomon begins now to look to people for what God had always given him. God had elevated him. Remember, we read that God anointed him king and gave him the wisdom and the authority and the power and the wealth to, to, to guard and protect. This is the same guy who had earlier said, unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. And now, already in 1 Kings 3, we read, he made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. Now, is it wrong to have people alliances? No. In fact, we encourage people alliances at this church, don't we? They're called growth groups. And I encourage all of you, as I, I said earlier in the service today, make alliances with other Christian people and get strong in alliances. What was, what was Solomon's problem? Solomon wasn't making an alliance with other Christians, with other believers, with other people who thought the way that he did about who God is. And Solomon is clear as he celebrates the opening of the temple. One of his clearest statements is, God, you are the only God. He completely knows that all the other gods are false. And yet he goes to an unbelieving nation and makes an alliance and seals that alliance by marrying his daughter. And this, begin, this becomes the first step toward not just dozens of alliances and wives, but hundreds of alliances and wives. He's beginning, the rain is beginning to pour down on the road and the flakiness is starting. The cracks are developing in this foundation, this legacy that he's been given. Look at what it says in 1 Kings 3.3. 3. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father, David. And then I want you to underline this word, except. Except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The high places were the places where the Canaanites went, the people that supposedly were supposed to be gone by now, but some of them had remained, and that's where they worshiped their gods, on the high places. So, so it's really saying Solomon is beginning to worship other gods because of these wives that he is bringing into his family, into his life, and into his kingdom. And so the flakiness gets worse, and the crack begins to widen. You know this, don't you? How many of you... 
in this beautiful state of Arizona have poured a nice slab of concrete for your driveway or maybe a walk somewhere and it looks so pristine and so beautiful when you first lay it and you take all this time to cure it and you put the wire mesh in it and it looks so great and then one tiny little hairline crack begins to develop and pretty soon before you know it that crack is beginning to widen the heat and the cold get in there and they if you live in a much colder climate, the, the water can get down in there. It can freeze. It can literally push those cracks wider and wider. There's a, a process called efflorescence that happens when water goes down into the lime that makes up the cement. And it begins to corrode and eat away at the cement, at the concrete that you've poured. That looks like solid rock. It looks so hard and firm and permanent doesn't it? And then after one crack follows another, follows another, and that's what's happening to Solomon. And so I want you to write this down until the first cracks begin to appear, and I want you to ask yourself this question. Have cracks in your spiritual life and in your heart begun to appear? Are are you thinking to yourself like I'm sure Solomon must have thought to himself, man, I'm doing so many right things. I'm going in the right direction. I'm showing love for the Lord and I'm walking according to his instructions. Except that I'm doing this one little thing that I know is wrong. Except that I can't get these sinful thoughts, anger and unforgiveness and bitterness out of my head except that I can't stop distrusting my neighbor even though he's done everything he could to apologize to me except that I can't get rid of my greed or my lust except that I can't stop gossiping all these other things I I love my Lord I'm walking according to his instructions except And do you find yourself, like Solomon must have done, minimizing it? That's just a little crack. Just just a hairline crack in the very hard rock of my faith. I don't think anything really bad could come out of that. You know, we have those. All of us have those in our walk with Christ. It's, it's why it would be wonderful if there was some sort of self-healing concrete in the real world that when cracks developed, there would be a way for those cracks to just get sealed up and healed and covered over, kind of how your skin does when you get a scratch in it. We don't have the technology to do that yet, but we do have the spiritual technology to do it. You know what the spiritual technology is for healing the cracks, the spiritual cracks in our hearts? It's called accountability. I think one of the most dangerous things for Solomon was, apparently, he didn't have a Nathan. See, the difference between David and Solomon is, David had a Nathan, who kind of stepped back calmly and waited and One month went by, and six months went by, and then a year went by, and then Nathan said, okay, David's not going to do something about this on his own. I'm going to help him. 
And he knew that he could walk into David's throne room and say, you are the man, David. But apparently Solomon has not empowered anybody in his life to keep him accountable. And therefore, a very important next step doesn't follow. You see, when Nathan came to David and said, you're the man, what did David do next? He repented. He made a U-turn. And though his sins, it was a whole set of sins were there, and they were horrible, what does God tell him after he repents? He says, come on back here, David. I forgive you. I've always loved you, and I never stopped. Can I ask you, if you have those spiritual cracks in your life, do you have accountability? Let me tell you something. You do have accountability with God. That's unquestioned because he is a holy God. And even though God may string it out before he comes down on you, don't ever doubt that that accountability with God is there. And for some, it's going to be an eternal accountability in hell. And this church is here to prevent people from going there. So the way to do that is to invite people into your life, people that you can trust, people that you know love you and want you to be successful and say, keep me accountable. And when, I'm, when you can see that I'm, I have cracks in my spiritual facade and that I'm not turning it around and I'm not repenting of what I'm Doing, I'm not rethinking this situation. Come and talk to me the way Nathan talked to David because I don't want to end up flaking out the way that Solomon flaked out. King Solomon, let's, let's look at what happens when the cracks begin to appear. Now we're going to see the cracks widen big time. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. And then I want you to underline this. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Here's the problem. And guys, this is where it gets practical for us right here, right now. When these cracks develop in our spiritual life, and we defend them, and we overlook them, and we minimize them, and we hold fast to them, we're making the biggest possible mistake because all of us have those spiritual divides in our lives where we're not acting with integrity, really not acting on the beliefs that we have. We all have them. And that's why God set up this economy of a gift, not earning it. Because we can't earn it. In reality, there are way too many cracks in our spiritual lives. And we need God to give us the spiritual healing that only he can give through his son, Jesus Christ. Rather than holding fast to our sins. If Solomon had only, only turned around and begun again to hold fast to Jesus, to God. And known his love. And that's what we need to do. Don't hold fast to sin in love. 
Don't hold fast to trusting others in love that only can provide things that only God should be providing. Turn around, turn back to the Lord, because here's what can happen in the end. Remember what I said about accountability and that with God, there is always accountability. Look at what it says. We've gone from 1 Kings 1, now we're in 1 Kings 11. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, see, I'm going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand. Brothers and sisters, I love you guys so much. And if there are words that I never want to hear said about you or me, it's for our God to say, see, I'm tearing the kingdom out of his hand. How devastating to have begun so strong to to, to throwing darts down the field between the 20s to running through big holes in the line only to to reach the last 20 yards and get in the red zone and then the last 10 yards and then throw a ball perfectly and have it get dropped and no touchdown. Can you imagine if it feels devastating on a football field in a preseason game? What it would feel like to one of us To have Jesus say, and Jesus warns us about this. This is not just Old Testament stuff. It's not just Apostle Paul stuff. Jesus himself says there are going to be people on the last day who will say, Lord, don't you remember me? And Jesus is going to say, you know what? I never knew you. I never knew you. And the people, and he's very clear about this, that he's going to say that too are the people who flake, who stop making progress in their faith because they don't tend to those spiritual cracks and those little sins that they want to justify and minimize. And instead of turning it around and turning back to God and holding fast in love to him, they hold fast to their sins. That's how the kingdom gets torn from your hands. Eventually, the cracks widen, the foundation crumbles. You want to end there? What a horrible place to end. I don't want to end there. We can't end there. I want to take you back to something Solomon says in the middle of all of this. Chapter 8, when he's dedicating the temple, he says something so beautiful that we all need to hear. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those are Solomon's own words. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord and said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. And then I want you to underline these words. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. We don't always finish. And there are many times when we are looking like we're not going to finish strong, but there is one who always finishes. There is one who said while hanging on a cross, it is finished. There is one who will be waiting for you and for me at the end of time, at the finish line. And through faith in him, through faith in Jesus and what his blood has done for us on the cross, the forgiveness one, he is going to be holding out his hand to high five us and then pat us on the back and say, well done, you've finished the race, you've completed the task. 
because you simply rested in my promises and you, you, you kept returning to me. And therefore, all those cracks in your spiritual life, I healed them. I healed them by my blood and my righteousness because I finished in your place. Beautiful. And that's why at the end of his life, while sitting in a prison cell, Paul the Apostle could say this. Not because of his own efforts, not because he was a great man or a righteous man. This is the same guy who says in, in, in his letters to Timothy, I'm the chief of sinners. I've got more cracks than you can imagine. But what does he write? Because of Christ. Because of Jesus. The true race finisher. The true task completer. I have fought the good fight now in his strength. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. And this is what I want you to walk out of here with today. Beyond all else. The way to heal all those spiritual cracks is just come back to this Jesus who loves you. Loved you enough to die on a cross for you. And know that he has finished in your place as your perfect substitute. And you too can say in him, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. We write this down. Jesus' love is faithful. It never ends. It always finishes the job and will help me finish strong. There's a beautiful song, and I, and I want to just close it out with this because I think it's so important for us to, to hear this. I, I wrote it down. It's called Slow Fade by the Casting Crowns. Maybe this message made you think of it. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. Thoughts invade. Choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. Daddies never crumble in a day. Families never crumble in a day. How important for us to hear that and then to hear the song that you're about to hear, which is, give me Jesus. Because when we have Jesus, we have it all. And we can be assured that our faith is not going to be able to crumble. We are going to finish the race strong. Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, because you sent your son Jesus for us, you made a great beginning. You did it for us. Because you sent your Holy Spirit into our hearts through the teaching of your word, through the sacrament of baptism, you have made a great beginning in our lives. And, and Lord, help us to do as Solomon did early on in his life and look to you for all the good gifts, not, not look to ourselves and not look to others, but to simply come to you and say, Lord, help us to finish strong in our faiths. Help us to be watchful over the little cracks and to turn around and repent of them. Help us, Lord, not to flake out in the end. Help us to be strong in the red zone of our faith. And to see you already waiting there at the finish line for us. 
ready to give us all an amazing high five because you have done it all for us and everything that we have and everything that we are is a gift from you. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. As you run the race, I want you to just remember what Solomon himself wrote. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what we learn from Solomon is that the fear of the Lord really could be contained in three simple words, accountability, repentance, and Jesus. If you just keep accountability and repentance and Jesus in your life, you're going to run a good race and you're going to finish strong because the fear of the Lord is going to be there and you've got the beginning of wisdom. Let me send you home with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord, everybody.